0: Dr. Merchant, can you present your patient? Yeah.
1: This is an 85-year-old white female, a widow, presented with hemoptysis around December of five, and also had right pleural effusion with right lung mass measuring 2.5 by 1.8 centimeter, and her performance status was between one and two. So she underwent thoracynthesis as bronchoscopy was negative, although she had hemoptysis. It turned out to be adenocarcinoma and. It was positive by IHC staining, and she staged out a stage 3B. And with her age and performance, the question was where we go from here.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about the woman and what her lifestyle yep. was like, her general health?
1: She lived alone, and she has been a smoker for 50 years, but she quit 18 years ago. She has like performances one and two, and she was short of breath on moving around, but she was able to manage herself at home living alone. So that's where we saw the patient and decided to offer what is next for her. And in our opinion that she would not be able to tolerate the thoracic synthesis.
0: Marty? This gets into really two separate issues in the management of non-small cell lung cancer one of which is the performance status issue. And, you know, this is something that I think has gotten a lot of attention very reasonably. You know, we had this paradoxical thing for many years where the people who most required therapy were the people we didn't want to treat, you know, which were those who were sick from the disease. And this made very little sense, and I think we've certainly evolved with that. You know, there's at least three groups that have kind of compromised performance status. You have those people who their compromised performance status is due to their disease. I think those people clearly benefit from chemo. You have those who had serious comorbidities at the outset, and when I last looked, platinum, nor taxanes will help with your COPD or your cardiac disease, unless it's a taxane-eluting stent. And then the third group are the frail people, and particularly frail elderly, which begins to segue into this. Those people who are doing their activities but look like they're going to get blown away in the next strong wind, it's not clear that this lady is necessarily in that group or not, but we all know who those are. And I think that for the PS2 patient who is due to disease, I actually favor doublet platinum-based chemotherapy. Then you have another issue, which is the elderly. And I think for the fit elderly, again, platinum-based chemotherapy is a good idea. We have a trial that shows in a prospective, albeit subset analysis, Dr. Lillenbaum's study in CLGB looking at carbotaxol versus taxol, and there was a clear advantage in these groups. Actually, that was probably the most dramatic advantage was for PS2s, and the elderly actually did better than the regular population. They really did seem to benefit from this. But then you have another issue here, which is the octogenarians, and we have no clue as to what to do with these people from a prospective point of view. The Very, very few of these patients have ever been enrolled on clinical trials. The numbers are extremely small. We know that they're not going to live forever. As I point out, if you want eternal life, go see the other guy down the hallway. That's not in my part of the hospital. So their outcomes are always going to be poor, because if you took epidemiologic an 85-year-old without lung cancer, they median survival is about two years or three years. So they don't do very well to begin with. Now, if this is somebody who's totally robust, doing everything that they were doing two weeks before, and we know 85-year-olds, well, if their father or mother lived to be 105, that's a different group. So what would I do? Getting back to this specific patient, I would certainly consider chemotherapy, and she's not somebody, I think, who would benefit from a TKI, but I would certainly probably look at, say, single-agent chemotherapy. One could take one's choice, venerelamine, etc. Want me to take over? Yeah, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've ranted enough, you know.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, I think this is a patient who's most suitable for single-agent therapy, and I agree. I probably don't think she fits the profile of a TKI candidate, we saw at ASCO this year, Rogerio Lillenbaum presented some data in PS two patients. They weren't necessarily elderly, but randomized carbotaxol to single agent or lotnib. And the single agent or lotnib people didn't do very well. And so chemotherapy is still the standard in the poor performance status patients. And because of her performance status in her age, I would use a single agent. I tend to use the evidence-based approach would be in my opinion gemcitabine is a less toxic drug than vinorelbine so i would use that i have been tempted to use pemetrexed in a number of these patients because i think that's even better tolerated and you are only treating her once every 3 weeks than the day one and eight schedule
1: it's a and 10 with, minutes
2: easy yeah it's do. 10 minutes is easy in my experience it's been less myelosuppressive than gem with vitamins of course she has the pleural effusion thing you'd have to if that's been drained so that you have to worry about that but that's the one We
1: we decided to go with Tarceva. We gave her all the choices.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so in defense of that, the Dana-Farber people have done a trial in which they took patients 70 years and older, which she would have fit in. They did not select the patients, just based on age. And they treated them with single-agent Tarceva. There were about 80 patients on the trial. They presented it at ASCO last year, I think, but also at Paul Bunn's targeted therapies meeting in January. And the activity of single agent Tarsiva actually was very similar to what we saw in the MILES trial in terms of bean and gemcitabine. Of course, these are elderly patients that made it to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. That's one thing. And they were PS0 to 1 patients too. So that theoretically would be an option, although it wouldn't necessarily be my first option. But a lot of people are attracted to that option because their perception is that it's not chemotherapy and it doesn't have the side effects of chemotherapy. I have treated a few non-smoking elderly patients with Tarceva first line, and in my experience, it has toxicity. So I don't think it is necessarily a less toxic approach, The toxicities tend to be different. And someone like this is not gonna tolerate grade three or four diarrhea very well, particularly living alone, you know, all that stuff. And the one thing I was gonna say is that I would try to bolster her social support system and just make sure that she could get somewhere fast if she got into trouble. With all this data, we are running a trial through our place. It's a multi-center trial. The trial was built on the MILES trial, the Dana-Farber cancer experience, and the observation that Tarceva added significantly to gemcitabine in pancreatic cancer. So we are doing a randomized phase two trial looking at gem alone, Tarceva versus the combination of gem and Tarceva, specifically in the elderly population. So we've just started that trial. I think we have two patients on it. And it really is an exploratory thing looking at in this particular population in which you think the older patients in which you think monotherapy is the best thing, how do these three approaches look compared to the standard of gemcitabine?
1: How long has she been on the tarceva, and how's she doing? She is now four months out and her pleural effusion resolved and her chest x-ray Showed marked improvement by 50%. Why do you
2: tumor. guys need us? You guys are doing all the right
1: things. <laughs> I mean, this is an 85-year-old lady. That's why we discussed the morbidity. How of. does she do in terms of side effects and symptoms from the tumor? She's handling it remarkably well. She had performance status has improved. At 150? At 150, yeah. Any rash? She had minimum rash initially, but that's gone also. And tumor-related symptoms? Markedly improved. Her performance status has improved. Just think how well she would
2: have done with the limter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Dr. Eng, Mark. Actually, I like your idea about upfront single agent alinta. Yeah. Because I find that to be sometimes easier than tarceva. Would you add a vastin to the up
2: upfront? That's a good question. Sometimes the cup is half empty, sometimes it's half full. One of the questions that comes up in subsequent therapies, if for whatever reason patients didn't have Avastin first line, should they get it second line? We don't have any phase three data yet. We did have some phase two data at ASCO this year that suggested that when looking at progression-free survival in a small randomized phase two trial, at least it wasn't an overwhelming signal, but I think there was some signal there to suggest that adding it to Olympta or docetaxel in the second line setting might prove beneficial. Things that work in the first line might work in the second line too, so I'm not necessarily surprised by that. In an 85-year-old where I think the goals are relatively limited, you're trying to make her feel better, I'm not sure. I mean, if she were 45, it'd be different, but in an 85-year-old, I would be concerned about the hypertension, the bleeding,
1: those sorts of things. And she had hemoptysis also.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. She had hemoptysis, yeah. So in this case, no. I forgot about the hemoptysis.
1: <laughs> I have another question of a case that I've been treating now. She's 63 years of age now. She started with 61, non-smoker, stage 4 disease on presentation. I treated with Texol, Carbo, and now she's on Tarsiva for over a year now. Two last pets can have been negative last eight months, every four months apart. And she wants everything to be done, but she's asymptomatic, when would you stop the tarceva in this particular case? Never. She's Never. 15, 16 months out now, on tarceva. Never. Yeah, no, I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when she progresses. And yeah. I wouldn't get another PET, I'd get a CT scan. Well,
2: you know, the other part of that issue is that yeah. patients are so hesitant to stop Exactly, it. that's what I'm You saying, know, yeah. they
0: are so attached she to, to that it? maintenance no, therapy. No. she
1: yeah. wants to, she wants to do
0: everything. The thing right. is, is we have... Evidence, this kind of class of agents, kinase inhibitors, in a very sensitive malignancy, CML, where Gleevec is magical. And in that disease, when you stop, the disease comes roaring back because it suppresses, it doesn't eliminate. So I think. Unlike the situation of maintenance chemotherapy or sustained chemotherapy, which, you know, cytotoxics, where I completely agree with Mark, who's generated the evidence for this and done us all and our patients a huge favor in showing that treatment with cytotoxics for eternity is not useful, I think that here... The reasonable induction of reasoning from other malignancies is for a tyrosine kinase inhibitor. It is reasonable to continue that indefinitely. This patient is doing well upon progression. Again, my feeling about PET scans I don't think you're helping the national budget at all. I would go with a CT or symptoms, and I'd space them pretty far apart. And I think this lady's sailing both from her natural history of disease, leave her alone. You know?
2: Yeah, just to make a comment on this, I mean, I'll tell you how I follow my patients that are off a of clinical trial. If they get four cycles, and whether they're on Tarceva or whatever they're on, I tend to see them every four to six weeks. I take a history and physical. I do a chest X-ray, and I try not to do a CT scan unless there's a problem on the chest X-ray. Off of a clinical trial, I'd probably do a CT scan every three or four months unless the patient has a new symptom or something on the chest X-ray is changing, and the symptoms can be either specific symptoms, but non-appetite, weight loss. I follow those things very closely. I think patients will tell you when their cancer is getting worse. And I don't think we necessarily lose anything. And the reason I did that is because when I was younger, I got so sick of radiology reports that were equivocal in suggested in MR. And I've got a patient sitting there who actually is doing pretty well. And now they're nervous because the radiology report, which they've highlighted the thing about, well, the radiologist thinks I should have a stand-upside-down scan, and that's going to clarify everything. And then you do that, they still don't know.
0: It's amazing. We get this constantly where you have a patient, they're doing great, and particularly like after chemo radiation, you get these evolving changes. It's three years later, the patient's been completely free of disease. They're on a trial, so we're following this. Could be progression, you know, and you look at the scan and say you've got to be crazy. And so I agree. What I've done, I've still tended to use CTs, and frankly, you're probably right. But over time, as this patient shows us that she has a very indolent history and stuff, you just follow at further intervals, three, four months, get a scan, occasionally it could be a chest x-ray. But I think the thing with follow-up studies, and this has been looked at in a variety of malignancies that they really don't help us. And when I was a fellow, I kind of asked, well, what's the basis for this? And never got a good answer. Began collecting articles, actually wrote a few papers on this about 10 years, ago or so. And when you actually look at it, there's very little benefit for most. This is not testicular cancer. Getting an early detection here is not going to cure these people. It's one thing in testicular cancer or Hodgkin's disease, but for a patient like this, you can periodically get a chest x-ray, maybe a CT scan every few months, but talk to them and then very quickly go for the scans. You know, the other flip side of this is Yes, vague symptoms are how people begin to relapse. Appetite loss.
2: Yeah, I found particularly that, at least in our institution, we aren't big believers in SUV changes and things like that. There are problems measuring them. And I always remind my patients that PET scans are done in the Department of Unclear Medicine. (laughs)